0: Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans 1, verse 1. And today my text will be read by my granddaughter, Lily Ruth. And yes, it's Lily Ruth, and her mother is Rebecca Ruth, and her mother is Ruth I. So yes, it's uh, it's in the family. She's a junior at uh, Central, and this is my grandson, Ian, a freshman at MSU. He has started preaching and is a, a good preacher, let me tell you. He's got a couple weeks off. He goes back to First Baptist Church Marionville, where he's been filling in for a while. Um, The first Sunday in December, but got a couple Sundays off, and I thought, well, I want want you to see my grandchildren who are serving the Lord. Both of them love the Lord. So I asked them to help me today. Oh, thank you. All right, good. Yeah. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word as Lily comes to lead us. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and pray together, dear Heavenly Father. Um, we just thank you for this this morning and the time we get to spend together. The extra songs so we get to sing together, uh, Father. We uh, we just ask that you would bless Grandpa as he steps up here this morning, and, and we just pray he would speak to each and every one of us, God. We pray that every word that he speaks will be from you, Lord, and that you would open our hearts, open our minds and our thoughts to what you have planned for us today. And as we go out from this place, help us to glorify your name in all that we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and You may be seated. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Last week, two weeks ago, we talked about Paul. That name is going to be in the Bible for good or for bad. He's going to make it one way or the other. He's about as bad as they got. Then he got saved and got just about as good as he got. Could have had a great resume for a synagogue or a church as long as they never got together and compared notes. But he made it on the good side, fortunately. Thank you, Lord, for that. And he starts out his letter by saying, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Since he was a slave of Christ, he couldn't be a slave to sin. Couldn't be a slave to other pleasures. Couldn't be a slave to himself. And then, today he goes a little step farther. He says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Notice, first of all, Paul had no doubt who he belonged to, who his master was, the Lord Jesus. And he had no doubt what his master wanted him to do. He was called to To be an apostle. The word called means summoned to take an office. Paul knew that God had a special place for him to serve, and he wanted him to be an apostle. Now, in the world of Paul's day, the word apostle was the exact same word that we use for ambassador. Like we have ambassadors to countries, we have an envoy, we send somebody as a representative. That's what the word meant, it just meant an ambassador, it was used in a government setting. But in the early church, the word apostle, this word ambassador, the word apostle became a very special word, and it meant the first messengers that Christ sent out. You and I are ambassadors, we're envoys, but we're not apostles with a capital A. We're not the first ones to go out. There were 14 of these men that were apostles. There were 12, one failed. Committed suicide. Matthias stepped in, took his place. So he was the 13th one. But then after the church had begun, there was one more man that God wanted to be, an ambassador. His envoy, this first wave of tellers of his story. And this man had been Jesus' enemy. And so he was on his way to the town of Damascus, going from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was hit by a, a bright light, hit the ground, said, Who are you, Lord? And he found that it was Jesus. And so Paul became the 14th person to become an apostle. Now, the purpose of the apostles was not honor, not fame. The purpose of the apostles was they were the scientific proof that Jesus rose from the dead. They were the ones to be an apostle of the four of the fourteen. You had to have seen the risen Lord. Now for all the others other than Paul, they were the ones who had touched him. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They saw him alive. They saw him dead. And then they saw him alive again. Paul the apostle, he became an apostle because in that bright light, he saw the face of Christ. He had his experience with the risen Christ and so he became an ambassador bearing witness I saw Jesus he is alive they were the ones who verified by their lives that Jesus rose from the dead and not only not only did they verify it with their words they verified it with their life as far as we know of the 14 men one committed suicide and all of the others were executed for their faith with maybe one exception. So that means, as best we know, 12 of these men died because they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And one of the things we've learned is that people do not die for fairy tales. Had they all gotten together and made it up and said, let's just get together and we'll pretend Jesus rose from the dead, they would not have died for that. The fact that they died is the scientific proof that Jesus actually lived, died, and rose again. Now, probably your immediate response is, Well, wait a minute, Pastor. All religions have martyrs. Thousands, maybe millions of people have died for their faith. It doesn't matter. They don't count in this regard. If someone walked in this door this morning and walked up here with a gun and said, if you renounce Jesus, I'll let you live. But if you're going to stand true to Jesus, I'm going to shoot you and kill you. If I said I'll stand true to Christ, he shot him and killed me. All I would prove is that I believed in Christ. Nothing else. I would not prove that Christianity was true. There have been millions of martyrs for Hinduism, for Buddhism, for Buddhism. Islam, Christianity, you stack them all up, and not a one of them proves that their religion is true except for the death of the first men who saw Him. Their deaths are totally different from all other martyrs in the history of the world because they died to prove they saw Him. And this elite group, this elite group, Paul says, I was called to be one of them. All right, let's go back to our text, Romans 1.1. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now, the word separated is a, is a great word be, for Paul because before he became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. You remember who the Pharisees were? They were the self-righteous ones, thought they were better than everybody else. They were, they were the men that walked around and you know loved to show off their religion. And we still talk about being Pharisaical, It's still a, a term of derision for us. He had been a Pharisee. Well, guess what? The word Pharisee means, you ready? Put your seatbelt on. The word Pharisee means separated. That's what, that's what the word meant. So here's a man, Paul, who spent his whole life separated from common people. The Pharisees were so separate, they would not let their robe bump up against an ordinary Jew, much less a Gentile. When the Pharisees came in, everybody had to part because they were so good and so righteous. They didn't want to be made unholy by coming to contact with just ordinary people. This is Paul the Apostle. Paul was separated from people. And then, when God shook Paul's tree, and Paul fell out and landed on the ground, he suddenly became separated to the gospel, in other words, to taking the good news of Jesus to the common people. And the contrast is as great as you can imagine in religious experience. Probably, in religious experience, in the world in which we live, maybe the greatest contrast is Hinduism from Christianity. Christianity. In Hinduism, totally committed to the caste system, a true Hindu in the upper caste will say, my religion forbids me to go to the untouchables. A Christian who is committed to Christ will say, my religion compels me to go to the untouchables. You see the vast difference? The Hindu says, my religion says, never go near them. Christianity says, you must go near them and help them. This is exactly what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He went from here to here. And that's why he had to spend three years in Arabia. You know, most people forget that. Most people forget that the Bible tells us that Paul, once he became a Christian, went down into the desert for three years just to kind of get his head screwed on right. Because he had to go from this to this. And yet, out of this chaos, this man who was separated, a Pharisee, who agreed to the death of Stephen, oversaw the martyr of one of our greatest saints, going to persecute and kill other Christians, knocked to the ground. Can you imagine the messenger that got to Damascus? The first messenger to Damascus. And he would have said to the Christians, listen. Listen, God struck Saul of Tarsus down. They had all been cheering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had it coming. Can you imagine being the messenger that has to say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you don't understand. He didn't knock him down to kill him. He knocked him down to save him. I guarantee you a silence went over the crowd to that one. And so this man who went from this fast difference, he took three years. He went down into the desert for Three years. To try to sort it out. And finally he came out of that desert and became one of the greatest saints we've ever known. He's been in the top five in anybody's list. And I want to talk to you just briefly before we take the Lord's Supper. I want to talk to you about four things we can learn from this man who went from this to this. From one of the worst to one of the best. What can we do? To live a life like he lived. Number one. Did you see what he said? He said he was called to be an apostle. Number one. Paul believed that God had a specific specific task for him to do. Because Paul believed that God had something for him to do. That meant his life was suddenly very valuable. His life itself what he did every day suddenly became very important because he believed that God had chosen something long ago that he was supposed to do. All of us, as God's children, we were all foreknown by him. We have been loved by him. He knows what we are the best at. He has given us certain gifts. Every one of us in this room has a particular task that the Lord has gifted us for and has been moving us for all of our lives. It is interesting. Even though Paul did not get saved until the Damascus road, he said, God separated me from my mother's womb. That's deep, folks. Long before God saved Saul, he had chosen him and as Paul Now he's beginning to move to do what God has called him and created him to do. He looks back and he says, oh my goodness, God was preparing me for this before I even got saved. He was called to be the apostle to the whole world. Isn't it interesting? He's the one who had been schooled in Roman schools, in the Greek schools, in addition to the Jewish schools. Fascinating, isn't it? So he looks back and he says, my whole life has been guiding me in the direction of what the Lord had for me to do. And that's what the Lord does. Moses. Moses was trained in the schools of Pharaoh. Don't you think that the 40 years he spent on the backside of the wilderness taking care of sheep, and every once in a while he would say, what in the world was the purpose of all that education? Jacob. Jacob was chosen to be the one through which the blessing would come before he was born. Samson, the man chosen by God to humiliate the Philistines, he was chosen while he was still in the womb. And God would not let Hannah conceive until she promised him that she would give her child to him. Then God let her have the child. God told Jeremiah, I formed you. In the womb, I knew you. And the angel said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. When I started preaching at age 15, my daddy was totally surprised. Took him totally by surprise. Completely caught him off guard. He told my mother, I never would have thought John would be a preacher. Thanks for that vote of confidence, Dad. But anyway, all right. (laughs) My mother immediately said, I've known since he was born, he'd be a preacher. She somehow understood that, that, that God was going to direct my life. Now listen to me, young people, listen to me. Listen, you t- teenagers right here in the front row, look right here at me. Right now, God is preparing each of you for something you don't have a clue what it is. Everything is happening in your life. And if you understand that, your life will have meaning. It'll have value. If you just think you're just going through the motions like people do, and you, you don't understand that God has a special calling, and that God is leading you and guiding you and moving you, you'll miss the point. So Paul, the moment he got saved, he understood, oh, man, God has something for me. That's number one. Number two. Number two, he was willing He said he was a slave. He's willing to do anything that God wants him to do. Now listen to me. Ruthie and I had a college group in our home for five years. 30 to 40 to 50 college students in our home on Thursday nights. The number one concern of those students, without doubt, without fail, nothing else even close, what's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? If I said it once, I said it 20 times or more. I would say to them, it is not your job to know now what the long-term future is. It's not your calling to know what's out yonder. All you need to do right now is make sure you're at the place to where that you are willing to do anything God wants you to do. You see, if you are a driven person, and, and holy driven people drive the world to be better, so I like that, but but if you're a driven person and you know where you're going and you, you, you kind of got it pinpointed out there and you're kind of moving that direction I want to ask you a question. Have you laid that on the altar and said to God, Lord, if that's not your will, I'll go a different direction. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten to the point to where it really doesn't matter what you want? Every major decision Ruthie and I have made through the years. Now listen to me, listen to me real close. Every major decision we've made. God never told us what to do. I don't believe in immediate inspiration. Uh, if you disagree with me, go talk to your last pastor or somebody else. Don't talk to me about it. I, I, I've, I've talked about that until I'm blue in the face. I don't believe in immediate inspiration. I don't believe God speaks to us directly. He speaks to the Scripture. The Scripture say we pray. God gives us wisdom. So I tell the college students, here's the point. Every time Ruth and I have had to make a big decision, the question is never what God wants us to do. Never. Always the question is, are we at ground zero? Are we where it doesn't matter? And without fail, once we get to where it doesn't matter, we have always known what to do next. That's why Paul was so successful. It didn't matter what God said. Lord, whatever... whatever." Whatever you want. You want me to go to this college or that college? No, Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray until it doesn't matter. And then I'll know which one to go to. Do I marry this person or this person? Now, Lord. You've got to bring me in my heart to where it doesn't matter. Do you want me to be a preacher or not a preacher? Do you want me to be a missionary or not a missionary? The issue is always getting to zero. Getting to where it doesn't matter. You can go this way or that way. God, do you want me to go to Second Baptist Church or do you want me to go somewhere else? Lord, do you want me to be the interim at Southgate or interim somewhere else? That's never the issue. Never the point. The issue is always am I at zero? For my desires are nothing. When you get there, you'll know God's will for your life. Number three. Number three, he felt he was separated to the gospel. Now listen to me. First of all, he knew there was something specific for him to do. So his life had value, it had meaning. And he was willing to do it. Just 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 give me to zero, and then Lord, I'll just follow you, I'll make decisions, make choices, as the book of James says, I just pray for wisdom. I'm gonna get to zero and I'm just gonna make decisions, and here we go. Then number three, he was separated to the gospel. Now listen to me. Every one of you in this room is separated to the gospel. And what that means is whether you're called to be a school teacher, a professor, a doctor, lawyer, masonry, an artist, a writer, no matter what your calling is, what are you, you, the, the particular job or task that you have, there has to be something in that that totally separates you from every lost person you work with. That's what it means to be separated to the gospel. It doesn't mean you have to be a preacher, it doesn't mean you have to be a missionary. It just means that you understand that if you're, let me pick something out of the blue. Let's say you're a school teacher. In my family, you either were a teacher or a preacher. Basically, your choices. So I'm just going to pick on teachers. If you're a teacher, does everybody in teachers' lounge know that you're a believer? Do you have a Bible in your desk that slides around when you open it? and People see it. Do you have a Christian book with you occasionally. If they look at it. Oh, it must be a Christian. You invite people to to church. Do you see what I'm saying? All of you, whatever your profession is, what is it about you in your job, in your calling, in your school, students? What is it in this particular task you're called to now that separates you from lost people? That proves to them that you are a Christ follower. That's what it means to be separated to the gospel. Always something, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your job, no matter what you're training, there's always this part of your life that you're separated to the gospel. There's always these little things that people look at and see. They are different. They're separated from the rest of us, not in a bad way, not in a self-righteous way, but it's obvious this person is a believer. So that's number three. Then number four. Number four. The fourth thing we learn from him is that Paul was always busy for God. Now, the first three came right out of the text. This fourth one, I add it because I want you to know, Paul got saved in Acts 9. In fact, I read those chapters again before I preached this sermon. Paul got saved in Acts 9. He was not called by the Antioch Church to be a missionary till Acts 13. He did not know what God had called him really to do until Acts 13. In the meantime, he ministers in Damascus, he ministers in Jerusalem, he ministers in Caesarea, he ministers in Tarsus. Barnabas has heard that he's become a Christian, goes and finds him in Tarsus, brings him, they take an offering to the poor in Jerusalem. Even before Paul knew exactly what God meant for him to do, he was busy for God in those chapters before he knew for sure the exact detail of what God had called him to do. Don't do nothing while waiting for a definite word for God. It's easier for God to move a Christian who's in motion than to move a Christian who's sitting still. You serve God. You do things for Him. You, you go out to the table and take stuff for the disabled adults. You you serve the poor when the church asks you to do something. You come a little early and you help arrange for the Lord's Supper. You, you, at work, you, you be the first one to volunteer to help others. You, you're serving God always and constantly. Samuel served in the tabernacle for years before he learned that he was, that was his calling, was to work there. When the Lord changed my life, I was 15 years old. And I came forward, I got saved as a boy by the verse John 3:16. An evangelist came to my dad's church and preached a sermon on John 3:16. I was sitting way on the back row. I came forward and I told daddy I wanted to give my life totally to the Lord. And my daddy knelt down with me. The evangelist was at the pulpit. My daddy got down. We knelt down and we prayed. And I made a promise on my knees, 15 years old. God, I will do anything I am asked to do for you. I did not feel a call to preach yet. I just said, I'll do anything I am asked to do. So, the Lord had really changed me. Our house was next door to the church building. On Saturdays, our janitor, Oval Warner, would come and do his janitor work. I'd see his car in front of the church. I'd walk out my front door. I'd go, and I would help him. I just wanted to do something for the Lord. When a Sunday school teacher couldn't be there in the intermediate class. That's the young teenagers. I filled in. One time we taught a course for teenagers. I told them if they would behave, I'd buy them a pizza at the end. Back then, that was a big deal. Not like it is now. Everybody's pizza. pizza. mean, it was a big deal. They were good, and I'm grateful for that. I sang in a quartet, a gospel quartet, trying to just find out what God had for me. And it's because of that decision, I would do anything. They'd ask me to sing in the choir. And I'm sitting on the back row of the choir next to Jerry Oliver. And my daddy stood up to make an announcement and said, next Sunday is Youth Sunday and Jerry Oliver is in charge of enlisting the youth. And I heard Jerry Oliver say under his breath, oh no. He had forgotten. First thing I heard him say was, oh no. Second second thing I heard him say was, John, will you preach next Sunday? That's how God called me to preach. Because I was willing to be busy. I was willing to do. And it was in the doing. You put all of that together and you have the success of Paul. He believed God had something for him to do. Therefore, his life was special. Special, you're special. He's willing to do anything. He knew his master was. And just, Whatever you say, I'll do. He knew he was separated to the gospel. No matter what God would have called him to do, he had to be telling people about Jesus. He had to be living a life where people would know he was a follower. And then, number four, He was busy for God, always doing something for the Lord. And somehow in that milieu, in that mix, God called him. Verse 2, verse 2, Romans chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read verse 1 to get our context. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. All right, band, if you want to start coming back up, we'll start moving toward the conclusion of our service. Paul knew, Paul knew that what he was doing wasn't new. He was a Pharisee. He understood the history of Israel. And when he got called and he became a Christ follower, he understood and he knew that. Um, That this wasn't something new, that that everything he had believed before he became a Christian was pointing to this day when Christ would come. And Christ came at the perfect time. We all know that. There was one government around the Mediterranean world, the Roman government was in charge. Uh, So there was free travel, Uh, there was one language, the Greek language was everywhere. The Roman roads had been built, or about 10,000 miles of them by then. I mean, the world was ready for Jesus to come. But then there was one other thing that God had to let happen before He let His Son come. He had to let the world try everything else. That's really important that you understand why did God allow Jesus to come when He came. He did not let Jesus come, his son, he did not send him into the world until the world had already tried everything that's ever been tried to be a substitute for God. Education, drugs, government, entertainment, sex, philosophy, There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing you can think of that hadn't already been tried for hundreds of years before Jesus came. And so Paul, once he becomes a Christian, he can put all this together. He he, he can put it together and say, I'm separated to something that I've known all along. I've known all the history. I've known the background. But now I see that it is fulfilled. And maybe the greatest thing in the Old Testament the thing that was done over and over and over again to announce beforehand was what God had allowed Moses to do. When God, through Moses, established the Passover. And the Passover, of course, was the celebration of the night when the death angel passed over the Israelites because they had the blood on the doorposts and took the firstborns of all the Egyptians. And so from that time on, the Jews took the Passover meal at the beginning of the year in the springtime. There were two places in the Passover meal where the Jews looked forward to the coming of Messiah. And Jesus took those two moments in the Passover on the night before He was crucified and He changed them. And those two changes are the Lord's Supper. That's what they are. That's what this is. The Lord's Supper is the part of the Passover taken out that said Messiah was coming and Jesus has said he has come. As Paul said in verse 2, long beforehand, the prophets had said, and you're going to partake of that today. You're going to see it yourself. So we're going to take the Lord's meal now. If you do not have your elements, you need to get it right now. I need for someone, would you go get me an element off of that table right there, please? Would you go get me one? Thank you. On the night before our Lord was crucified, he took the Passover with his men, the men that he loved, the men he had served with, and he changed two things in the Passover. And those two changes, he gave us the Lord's Supper. And if you're a Christ follower, you're welcome to take the meal with us today. You don't have to be a member here, but we would ask that you be a Christ follower. He passed bread among the disciples. The bread was a symbol of his body. And his body was going to be broken the next day. And he said, so this you take in remembrance of what I'm going to do tomorrow. Lord Jesus... We can never thank you enough for this. And so we take this little piece of bread as a reminder to us that your body was broken for us and we are grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.